Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Tega, who is CEO and founder of Figure. Um, good morning, sir. How are you? Morning, Alex. I'm I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, very good, very good. And um, yeah, we were just saying is that normally we've we've had a lot of preamble, normally we've kind of spoken, but you you've been dealing with my colleague Sophie, and um, and this is the first time we speak. So um, I've already apologised ahead of time for asking you stupid questions because I'm excited for this conversation. As I said, because this is a, this is a little bit outside of our kind of like comfort zone. It's in that sort of insure tech adjacent space. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. But um, before I go into that, and and let's give everyone some context. So it'd be really good as as tradition on the leadership insurance podcast if you could kindly introduce yourself and and and, and the figure or business. Yeah. Um, thanks, Alex. I'm excited to be here. So my name is Tega. Um, the full name is Organa Tega Yotim. I know it's difficult to pronounce. Um, and I lead the business called Figure. Figure um, traditionally has been in the space of temperature monitoring for perishable products, uh, products such as, you know, cut flowers, vaccines, meats, uh, mushrooms, and so on and so forth. Um, but one of the key opportunities that we've identified by doing this business has been that on the African continent, there's the absence of coverage for such perishable commodities. Um, and as a company that has been providing data, we've been able to, through this data, um, sort of understand risky versus non-risky customers rather than using a broad market um understanding to underwrite so we have you know started to help the insurance companies using our data to help them you know um segments between the customers that we deem risky or that the data deems risky versus the ones that are not so in a nutshell we provide real-time monitoring but on the back of that help with the data that ensures customers access insurance while also ensuring that the insurance companies um are underwriting properly right amazing thank you for that um it's uh it's an interesting area. Funny enough, we were in the Lloyd's lab yesterday for their launch of cohort eleven, and 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 data richness and 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 data enrichment, better use of data was was a was a sort of large theme outside of one of their kind of traditional things, but particularly looking at um, different geographies where the data is not quite as rich. Um, is is that is that an element to it that that's unique? Is is particularly the geographies in which you're operating? Is there kind of a was there a limited pool of data prior to you starting the business? Um, yeah, um, initially when we started the business, this was not where we were thinking we were going to go, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, one of the things that echoed a lot from a number of the customers was their inability to just get access to insurance because they were dealing in perishable goods. Um, if you're familiar with a number of the policies written on, on the African continent, there's something which we call the standard exclusions, right? Those exclusions tend to refer to goods in transit that are perishable, anything that can self-deteriorate, um, which limits the ability for a number of businesses to get coverage in cases of losses. Um, and yes, speaking to the insurance companies, we discovered that, yes, um, a lot of the insurance companies were basing their theory on the fact that look, Africa loses almost 50% of the food that they produce, which are perishable goods. You know, the standard data that is accessible, you know, via um, Google or any research paper, but they, what they were not um, able to do was 
to differentiate between the way Alex was doing business from the way Tega was doing business, um, which I think is a very key element here. So with our data, we're able to differentiate between how the both you know businesses are doing, how, how they are storing um, products, right? Which you know now helps the insurance companies look into the historicals of this business and then can from there take the risk as regards you know how they should underwrite a particular customer not just using that broad market data but using specific data that are unique to particular customers yeah yeah i mean it's 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 exactly that kind of trend that we're seeing in the broader market is you know evaluating risks on a, on a on a genuine basis like you know there are good risks and bad risks that on the outside look exactly the same you know if we both run like, as you say that example the shipping company and you run a really good one and I really run a really bad one, then then my loss ratio is going to be a lot higher. So um, and it's over that's an oversimplification of it, but it's frustrating what I, th- I think, particularly in the insurance market, when we still see some of these blanket coverage policies, which make sense from an insurance point of view, but they're not practically that useful for people that try and access um insurance, particularly on uh, to cover the, their business losses. Um but I think we 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 sort of skipped ahead a little bit to a certain extent, or I skipped ahead because you know there's, <laughs> I'm, I'm asking the questions, so it's my fault. But I want to take it back because you've got a really interesting starting point. Because it, am I right in thinking it was solar powered cold storage? That was that's where the business begins. Um, talk us through that kind of journey. So moving to sort of selling this data, how deliberate was that journey as well? Because I'm always interested when businesses pivot. It's like how much is that we you know you stumble upon something that's a good idea or it was a deliberate move. Yeah, talk us through that, it'd be great. Yeah, um, I think as an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, when you're going into a new business, you have everything worked out and seems very fantastic. Um, and then you get in and then the market says, no, you know, this is not, <laughs> this is not how things work. Um, and I think my journey has been similar to that, right? Um, we started off largely because I had experienced some huge losses in the agricultural sector. Um, And so I thought, hey, it would be cool to kind of build um, infrastructure that could help farmers store the products. But a lot of realities, um, you know, on paper, it's it's a fantastic idea. There's a lot of impact as well. Um, But in reality, uh, you now have to start dealing with human beings, right? Um, Their perception of your technology, um, can they truly afford it? You know, what's your CapEx cost? What's your OPEX cost? Once you start looking at those numbers, you realize that, okay, the next 12 months, I'm going to be dead. (laughs) So you have to, you know, um, look at other uh, opportunities there. And so that's what we did. So at first we attempted building that infrastructure um, and we saw that at the point, at that point, we did not have enough capital to, um, you know, grow out the business the way we would have loved to. So we made a pivot into just um, providing monitoring as a service for a number of customers. And we were largely successful with that. Um, Year on year, we kind of, we grew, you know, 5X um, but then you get to a point where you now start asking what next as an entrepreneur, right? Um, and looking into it, always talking to customers. That I think that's pr- probably like the best part of business for me, talking to customers and understanding what's what's really helpful to them. Um, and so talking to customers, realize that there's an opportunity here around um, coverage um, because a lot of them do not have access to you know insurance coverage. 
Um, and so speaking to the insurance companies, speaking to the customers, understanding what the problem was and realizing that, look, this data that we've built over the past two, three years could help my customer um, um, have access to insurance, which means that when losses happen, my customers are covered, right? This also builds stickiness into the core of the business, which is monitoring. Um, and so that's kind of how we kind of just moved all the way to where we are today. Um, but the core of it is still the monitoring bit, but um, using that data to now help the insurance companies um, on the right and you know help my customers um, not be not left um, hanging in cases of losses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that entrepreneurial journey is sort of looking ahead and you, you think you've got it right. And, and, and I had a really good conversation with um, uh, Tim, who's CEO of Instando. And, and, you know, I think any entrepreneur has to have that sort of almost blind level of belief. Otherwise, you wouldn't you wouldn't do anything. It's too hard. Um, but then the ability to pivot is, is also a part of that as well. It's just going... Oh no, I'm wrong. And uh, or or sometimes you're right, but it's just the timeline to be right. You know, it sounds like it, there's no point running out of money because you're still wrong. Um, it's, it's like the whole thing being too early is as, as bad as being too late. Is there a world in which that because was it patented technology? Was it unique technology that you'd built for this cold storage? Is is there a world in down the line where that still becomes part of the business? Do you think? Um. <laughs> um. No, it wasn't patented technology. I think it's a lot of technology. It was more about adopting a technology for a particular use case. Uh, in terms of could this be, could it be part of the business? Um, I think, you know, on that entrepreneurial journey as well, you realize that, you know, for your EBITDA to, you know, get positive, you want to be as asset light as, as possible. So you start to look at, okay, you know, how can I aggregate this rather than owning this and so on and so forth. I think the problem still exists, but we're also seeing a lot more investments coming into this space um, to fix some of those problems. So um, yes, we still have something in mind, but rather than building infrastructure, we're thinking about aggregating infrastructure. Um, so yes, that could also be some value. And then you still use the value of, you know, insurance we can still layer that into an aggregated um, infrastructure play as well as also aggregating monitoring into that infrastructure play as well. Um, so rather than owning the infrastructure, in this case, we'll mostly be doing an aggregation and then adding the, added the, the value of monitoring as well as access to the insurance um, into the solution. So not the way we envisioned it in day one, um, but we're looking at it in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I suppose it's the the biggest hotel chain in the world doesn't own any hotels, and and and, and that being the uh, theme of the businesses that are seeing success now. Um, how far do you think your pursue insurance was a vertical? Because there's an argument to say that you could you could offer an MGA, you, you could offer your own insurance products. Is 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 that something you've explored or thought about? Yeah. Um... Yeah, once we doubled into the insurance space, we realized that there's a lot of value that we can actually provide. Um, but, you know, I think data is still the core, right? Um, and yes, we, we're doing a number of really interesting stuff with a few insurance companies on the continent right now. Um, one which I would like, of which I could mention is with a company called Royal Exchange, it's an insurance company in Nigeria. Um, we're building something called the Poultry Index. Um, there's a direct, you know, um, relationship between, you know, climate 
as well as um, temperatures to the production levels for poultry birds, either layers or broilers. And to put this in context, in Nigeria, this is a market that is valued about $4.2 billion, right? Um, but there's limited coverage as well for this because it's a very, very risky space. Um, and so, you know, this is something that we're also doing, but again, data is still key. So I think data will still be the core um, and we will still be able to kind of build out new products um, on the insurance side in partnership with the insurance companies. Um, so yeah, um, there's a lot that we think we can do with the insurance space and, you know, it's an entrepreneurship journey, um, which means that, you know, you keep growing, you keep learning and you keep building new stuff, um, to ensure that our customers have access to better service, right? Um, because we do currently provide monitoring for poultry businesses, poultry houses across the country. Um, and if they could have access to better priced insurance, um, premiums or better, um, insurance products that um, covers their losses, then it's something that we're always going to do to ensure our customers have access to, you know, better service. Sure. Uh, speaking about the kind of partnerships and insurance that you're working with, obviously you, you mentioned World Exchange, uh, Nigerian-based insurer. What's been what's been the partnership like on the kind of an international basis of, of, of the international uh, insurance industry shown interest? Uh, you know, have, have you kind of had any engagement? engagements outside of um, the Nigerian market? Yeah, so two markets we're really keen on is Nigeria, Kenya. Um, Nigeria largely because that's the where we started building out the product and it's like sort of like the primary market. Um, Kenya, because it's also a regional play for the East African market and there's a lot of um, exports that tends to happen from there. Um, right now, I think we have partnerships with about the uh, seven insurance companies across the two markets um so yeah it, it's been it's been receptive um and it's been interesting because i mean people have tried to figure out how do we ensure that we're capturing some of the um, opportunities that we've been you know foregoing because for on the side of the insurance companies you have to realize that they also consider this as missed opportunities right um, and if there are ways that they can underwrite in a, in a term that I've, I saw somewhere, underwrite, sorry, um, insure profitably, right? That was the term I saw somewhere. If they can insure profitably, then it means that, I mean, they would, they would go ahead and do it. So, and, but the key thing is the data, which is where, you know, figure sits. Um, so yes, there's a lot of um, positive reception to it. Yeah. It's like echoing back to that, the, the talks I was at yesterday and, um, you know, one of the challenges for insurance is that how they've traditionally kind of used data is to use claims data. But if you've not underwritten anything in, in Africa, then you haven't got any claims data to go on. So it's a, it's always that search for data and, and data that you can use in a predictive, you know, modeling way. Um, so it's really interesting to see how that kind of market grows because obviously it's, a, it's an enormous market. So to, to not be insuring or insuring profitably out there, then you know, it's a huge missed opportunity. So I think it's exciting to to be able to present some of that data on, yeah, this you know some of the market sizes you were talking about, four point two billion in 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 the poultry market alone. Um, I wanted to understand if anyone, because anytime we look at data now, uh, parametric has been the kind of conversation point for about six months now. Um, is is the data of a level now that people have? People are utilizing parametrics. Has that been discussed? Has, has, has anyone looked at using your data in that way? Yeah, so so this particular product, which I'm talking about, um, the um, poultry index product, 
um, is largely parametric, um, double trigger incidents, right, where we use climatic factors and um, sensor data as well. So that's one um, scenarios. I think parametric is the way the world is going um, and it's inevitable. Um, our market may be slower, but it eventually would have to catch up um, because we're seeing even in other African markets, we're seeing global players um, offering parametric um, products right now um, on the African continent. Um, so I think it's also, we're going to see a lot of local players adopting this subsequently. But yeah, the current product that we're working on with Royal Exchange is a parametric product. Um, and we think it's going to, you know, grow massively. I, I think if you also look at the crop insurance, um, crop insurance to, to a large extent is also is also parametric, and that is widely adopted across um, Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I know in Nigeria, um, you do find that um, parametric um, applications for crop insurance. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, funnily enough, this conversation yesterday was about... Um... It's about water, water agriculture, and and protecting like fishing stocks, for example, and um and and it was being talked about in the way of using the parametric trigger because yeah, it is so big in agriculture, uh, because essentially if it fails or or those goods perish, it's immediately the loss is there. It, the, there's no analysis really needed. Uh, um, once the trigger's been hit, the food's been spoiled, then yeah, then the payout should happen. But yeah, I'm 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 slightly boringly obsessed with parametrics because it was a thing that. I don't know, probably a few ten, three years ago, if you'd asked me, I probably wouldn't have known what it was. And I, and I know as, just as a small business owner, just selfishly, I look at it and go, if you could guarantee me a payout, I'd, I'd rather that. Because as you know, as an entrepreneur, cash is king and that's what's going to kill me. So as long as you can get me back in business again, whether it kind of fully covers it or whether it just allows me to keep going, that that's what matters. So yeah, hugely attractive, I think, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an insurance tool. Yeah. Um, I I had a quite cynical question, so I hope <laughs> and and uh, I, I hope I hope it's not too cynical. But I was just thinking, has there been any resistance from customers on the level of like transparency that your monitoring provides? Because the end customer, do they want to know about the journey of 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 their of their of their goods that kind of as it arrives? Or is there kind of any? resistance to that transparency that you go do people want to know what their food goes through to get them i was just wondering if that's anything that's it's a bit like the way i was thinking about it was that when people started putting like the black box on cars yeah and people were like i don't want my insurance company to know how i drive has that going to be any pushback at all um no funny enough um uh sorry uh yeah no 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 not, not at all um I think if you look at the value we're bringing to to customers, I think that's the key thing. Um, in especially developing countries where we have a lot of infrastructure failures, like electricity and so on and so forth, the value first goes to the customer, right? So just understanding how my facility is performing um, can determine if I lose products or not. Right, which means that my capital is either safe or it's gone. Right. So that is the first value that we bring to the customer, meaning that um, my things are safe, my things are good, I'm still in business. You know, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be shocked that uh, all the products I had here, it's, you know, is gone. Um, so that's the first value. Um, so 
providing that value to the customer is already a benefit. So they don't have a challenge. They want that transparency in their operations because we also do have personnel issues, which means that you have drivers not going where they're supposed to go when they're transporting really temperature sensitive products. So yes, you want to pay attention to where your driver is going per time. You know, people, you know, um, and like I said, infrastructure failures. So you want to know when, you know, the grid has gone down in your particular cold room, therefore, so that you can take the necessary steps to ensure that those products are safe. So that visibility is necessary for ensuring the survival of their business in the first instance before the next step, which is, you know, how do I access insurance, you know, and things like that. And even before um, an insurance company gets access to your data, you have to give approval for that data um, to be shared with the insurance companies for underwriting purposes. So yeah, the first value goes to the customer. So it's, 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 um, it, it's beneficial to them. Yeah, and I suppose I suppose any customers that think in the cynical way that I was thinking just wouldn't engage with the product full stop. So um yeah, there's a reason I don't have a black box on my car. Um my, my driving's too dodgy to be monitored, I think. Um the I wanted to wonder how how products like yours and services like yours data has an impact on climate change. Is is, is that something that's come come up at all in any of the thought process? Because presumably the transportation of goods is a, is a huge polluting source but if you can do that more efficiently because you can monitor it and you know you know what's perishing and what's not um should have a positive impact on climate change one would imagine but i, I didn't know if that's something that's been kind of discussed by customers or, or maybe even investors yeah yeah so so data data i think is one of those key things that uh has an impact on climate change uh you know sometimes very difficult to quantify but it does um, so when you talk about things like route optimization, you talk about um, overcooling um, from a cold chain perspective as well. Um, those are some of the impacts that data can tell you. Are you overcooling? Are you overheating? Are you um, taking a longer route? You know, are you doing this efficiently and non-efficiently? Um, and it's also one of those points where you find um, value being delivered immediately. I, I'll, I'll, and I'll explain if your driver is taking a 15 kilometer road um, to deliver products where he, when he could take, you know, seven, right? There's instant value in terms of how much you're saving gasoline. And there's also the impact on the on the environment, right? When you talk about overcooling, you also talk about is your compressor overworking, right? When you need to store temperatures at so so and so value, um, and if your compressors are overworking, then it means that there's also the release of you know greenhouse gases. So with the knowledge and with data, you can actually position in such a way that it saves you money, but also has a positive impact on on the environment. So so that's one. But another thing is, another thing is, uh, and I'll still talk back to on the, the poultry index products, which we're working on, there, there's also been the chat around how the environment or global warming is affecting food productivity in on the African continent. Because, you know, uh, Africa is one of those continents that is directly impacted by the rise in temperatures. It's, it's, a, it's a normally, normally a hot region. And so we've seen that... Um, so what we're doing with that product is um, understanding the climatic factors, looking at data over the last 30 years, how it's affecting you know, um, poultry production. Um, and with every increase in temperature, we're going to actually see that birds are going to produce less, 
right? Um, they're going to feed less. Um, <laughs> and when they feed less, then it means, you know, less um, growth. Um, also, in terms of layers as well, we're going to see that the egg productions are also going to decline as well, right? So um, we're using those factors to kind of also help insurance companies to understand how um, the risk, you know, how risky it is um, to underwrite. So those are some of the things that our data is helping um, with beyond just um, saving the planet is also talking about the impact of some of the climate um, climatic factor factors on you know production in some in some birds. Yeah, I think your first point particularly really resonates with me because we've talked about yeah using insurance to sort of drive um, you know positive you know movements towards climate change and addressing climate change and and some have been that quite directly with with insurance products and, and others is just about kind of using data but the thing that we've always come back to is that it needs to be it needs to be profitable positive moves so you know that's the thing it, it, like, you're going back to more efficient routes exactly that like save money and you know uh save the planet and, and i think too much of the kind of you know talk around it has just been save the planet but not in a way that addresses the needs of, of businesses and and whilst that might be there's a lot of people out there who say well that, that's the, the priority is to save the planet first and yeah we would probably will agree but it's just like that that doesn't take into account the realities of businesses and businesses need to make money so if you can give someone oh that you're more profitable and you and you're contributing positively to climate change issues then that's just a win-win all round so the kind of more initiatives you see like yours is is is, is exciting to see um i wanted to just uh you know, ask you as well about kind of vaccine transportation because obviously they would fall into kind of perishable elements yeah. um is that some of the data have people monitored for that and and did that have a positive impact at all on maybe the fundraising process i'm more thinking about it became much more awareness of the issue of going like vaccines were failing because they were not being transported correctly um, is that something that's kind of ever factored into the conversations of some of the monitoring you've done? Yeah, um, so we, we've done a lot of um, projects around vaccines, especially in my home country, which is Nigeria. Um, we did that a lot, um, you know, during COVID, um, after COVID, it's been extended beyond just COVID now to routine immunizations, ensuring its efficacy at the last mile. Um, but yes, it was one of those things that helped people notice, right? <laughs> I had family members who told me, Tega, I never knew what you did until, <laughs> until COVID happened, <laughs> right? Um, because um, the value was much more in their faces, right? Um, but that being said, you know, we still, we were also serving at the same time a bunch of other, you know, customers in multiple sectors. Right now, we're doing a lot in the cut flower industry in, in Kenya, um, the mushrooms, avocados, and so on and so forth. But yes, um, being able to showcase um, the failure rates um, as well as how to basically just improve the success rates as well was also another project which I was really, really excited um, to do because it had a direct impact on people's lives, right? So um, we, we were able to, you know, put in sensors into different boxes before the pack and before the ship were able to tell what the storage conditions are. Um, if there were particular issues when products landed on a, in a particular airport, then we could make decisions as regards distribution. Um, and these were things that, you know, initially um, organizations used to run blind, 
right? So with this, we were able to help um, provide data that made certain decisions quicker, right? Um, I'll give you a particular instance. There was one time um, when they were shipping vaccines, what used to happen is they would look into the historicals of a particular state um, and they would say this state over the next 30 days would be only able to consume, say, for example, one million doses of this vaccine, right? Um, but in cases where, you know, there are delays or, you know, exposures, it means that those, those um, vaccines have to be consumed over a shorter period of time. So there was a particular incident where we shipped products to one of the states and then there was there was an issue. So being able to provide them with that information meant that, okay, rather than us distributing these vaccines, which has been allocated for one month period for this state, we need to break that bulk and distribute it into to closer states, right? So that the, the, the consumption period is, you know, much shorter. Um, and so we don't also incur huge amount of losses because of um, because when you marry the uh, what's it called the consumption patterns with um, the amount that's available, you know they, it will waste. So being able to provide that data was also very element was very um, instrumental to ensuring that losses were you know minimal um, during that period. And now we're still doing the same thing uh, you know across um, other states for routine immunization, the one given to kids um, and you know families and so on and so forth. And it, and, it, and it's another tool in which uh, insurers can use your your data and monitoring services, right? Because it's 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 a bit like uh, flood modeling that would happen is, is that one of the things is getting ahead of it and being proactive and saying, right, there's a flood risk, raise everything uh, a foot off the ground and then we'll probably be fine. You know, you're able to give that real time saying there's an insured risk. And actually, if we change the route or if we change the distribution pattern, that that claim will not occur. So. Yeah, really interesting to see how these are multiple ways that you could use, like for underwriting purposes, for risk managing purposes, and for kind of loss prevention purposes as well, um, all just within the insurance vertical. Um, yeah. Amazing. I, I wanted to um, probably like my, my probably my final question. I, I don't want to don't want to keep you too long, um, but um, you you successfully raised earlier this year. Um, I think it was May, it's about two million dollars, um, and then you've had multiple grants for investing in innovation in Africa, Google for startups. Um, what's the startup community like in, in, in Nigeria? Um, is it kind of particularly active? Because I've seen quite a lot of press about it, but obviously I've only got the narrow lens of InsureTech. So if it doesn't hit InsureTech, I don't, I don't have as much exposure. So, you know, you're, you're an entrepreneur and I wonder what, what's the community like there for startups? Um, Alex, it's huge. It's, 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 um, I've had folks visit Nigeria and they're like, I mean, what's going on here? Because there's a lot, there's a lot happening. Um, and it's largely, I, I would also liken it to the spirit of, of Nigerians in general, right? Um, really innovative people. Um, unfortunately, we've not had um, great leaders in terms of governance. And so... <laughs> We, we kind of grew up in an environment where you don't have water, you have to figure out how to drill a borehole and ensure you have water. You know, you don't have electricity, you have to go and build a generator or find something to, to get yourself electricity. You don't have food, then, you know, go find a way to, to, to get it. So we've had to innovate across a broad number of challenges, right? Um, and so that has driven people to, when you find a problem, you try and solve it and you try and solve it profitably. And so this is one of the key reasons why 
I think Africa, sorry, Nigeria is one of the uh, growing hubs for um, technology. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a big, it's a big space. I, I hope you eventually come to visit one of these days. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of um, businesses in, in the intro tech space, in the health tech space, in the agri-tech space, um, retail. There are a lot of businesses actually, you know, um, technology businesses that are springing up looking to solve key fundamental issues um, on the continent. Um, but yeah, it's a very vibrant space and hopefully one day you'll come to visit and you can experience it for yourself. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I'll, I'll take that as an invite, Tego, and I'll, I'll go out there. But I'll have to fight Sophie for it because uh, Sophie grew up in Africa. She's, she grew up in Malawi, so she's a... Uh... She's always desperately trying to go back. So I'd have to probably fight for the seat on the plane if there's only one of us there. So, um, yeah, but look, I, I always like to finish on kind of what's next, really. So I know, obviously, working on this poultry end index and, and, and that's probably occupying a lot of your time. But what's the kind of next 12 months look like for the business? Is, is there kind of any uh, things that you can share about kind of maybe geographic expansion or kind of new product launches um, that we haven't already covered off? Yeah, um, I think what's what's happening and, and my plans are usually informed by my trends or my experiences. Um, what what we're seeing right now, especially because we're doing a lot of business with the cut flower industry, we're seeing a lot of exports happening to the European market. Um, and we're also so I over the next 12 months, my my goal would be to learn more about the European space. Um and also see how I can bring more value to my customers, because I think that's the core thing. Um, we see a lot of imports coming from Europe into Africa. We see a lot of exports happening from Africa into you know, Europe from the eastern side. And then from the western side, we see from Europe into Africa. Um, and so how does coverage look like? Because one of the major opportunities I've identified is... Um, a number of the foreign businesses uh, and also European businesses that are important to Africa, what tends to happen is coverage happens from port to port. But once it gets into the port and to the point of storage, there's a vacuum there. So is there a possibility to fill that gap? Um, at what point do we need to intercept those sort of intercept those sort of opportunities to so that's what I we would largely be focusing on um, in the next 12 months. Um, after launching of the poultry index, um, we're hoping that, you know, there could be some expansion um, happening in the business, but solving this problem of imports, you know, once it gets to the port and goes in um, and once it, you know, gets out and gets into the European markets as well. So, you know, trying to um, figure that out so that that would be um, the next step for the business in the over the next 12 months. Amazing. I love it. There's, there's there's so many gaps in particularly when I mean we look at the sort of supply chain and, and whether it's kind of perishable or non-perishable, that there's just so many gaps and opportunities in insurance. So it's really exciting to see businesses like yours addressing those gaps. Um thank you so much for spending the time with me uh and being patient with some of my questions uh because I, I say it's always funny when I'm slightly outside my comfort zone. But um yeah, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So, you know, Tega, thanks so much for being a, a guest on the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex, for your time. It's a pleasure and really interesting questions. Thank you.